Welcome to Jury Duty. I'm your host, Carrie Antholis. This season of Jury Duty explores the trial of Michael Barrison, who was charged with the attempted murders of Lauren Kanarek and Robert Goodwin in Long Valley, New Jersey. Kanarek was struck in the chest by two bullets from Barrison's weapon, and as it was undisputed that Barrison fired those shots, his legal team argued that he was not guilty because he was legally insane at the time of the shooting and in the alternative because he fired those shots in self-defense. In our last episode, we concluded our multi-part coverage of the testimony of alleged victim Lauren Kanarek. On today's installment, we look at the testimony of the surgeon who operated on Ms. Kanarek after she was shot, and we begin our presentation of the direct examination of Ms. Kanarek's boyfriend, Robert Goodwin. That's all coming up right after the break. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. After the lunch recess on day four of the Barrison trial, Judge Stephen Taylor calls the court to order and addresses the prosecutor. Mr. Shellhorn, we're ready to proceed. Call your next witness. Judge Steve would call Dr. Mark Widman. Dr. Widman takes the stand. He is a stocky man with whitish gray hair that is slicked back and falls on his jacket collar. He wears a gray suit with a white open collared dress shirt. Prosecutor Shellhorn begins his questioning. Uh, good afternoon, doctor. Can you please tell the jury uh, where you work? I work at Morristown Medical Center. And approximately how long did you work there? A little over 20 years. What's your capacity there? How, what's your job? I'm uh, attending surgeon and chest surgery, thoracic surgery. Can you tell the jury what thoracic surgery is? Uh, it's surgery of the chest. Can you tell the jury briefly about your educational background? I went to college at Duke University. I went to medical school at Yale did several years of research and general surgery residency at Yale, and then went to the University of Iowa, where I was trained as a chest surgery specialist, then went into practice for two years in the Brunswick area, then came back to Morristown after that. Do you have any medical licenses? I do. Uh, New Jersey, I think, is my only active one at this point. And are you board certified? I am, in chest surgery, thoracic surgery. I want to direct your attention to August 7th, 2019. Were you working at Morristown Hospital that afternoon? I was. Can you explain what your role was that afternoon? I believe I was finishing my operative schedule and I received a phone call from the head of the trauma group that they had problems with a patient who was in the emergency room and they needed my emergency help. Did you at that point go to the emergency room to assist with that patient? I did. I went there within a minute of the phone call. I was just down the hall and knew in advance that they were having trouble with somebody who was bleeding after reportedly a gunshot wound and the patient was unstable. So I went right there. Did you know who the patient was at that time? I did not know their name or sex when I got the phone call. And did, you, did you come to later learn at some point, whether after the surgery or before, uh, that that was an individual named Lauren Kenrick? Yes, I did. Can you describe for the jury uh, what your initial observations of Ms. Kenrick were when you encountered her? The patient had very low blood pressure, was hypotensive, had bled probably about half of her bloodline prior to my arrival. Trauma service had been resuscitating her 
they relayed to me that her heart had already stopped once and that had come back. She had significant amounts of ongoing bleeding already documented there in the emergency room. And uh, within, I don't know how many minutes, but not very long, we were transporting her emergently to the operating room to stabilize and then stop any bleeding. Did you see any evidence of resuscitative measures? The trauma service had already been doing something, so they had intravenous catheters in her. She had been on uh, ventilators and she was being supported for her breathing. Um, I think she had two chest tubes in, one on the right side and one on the left to evacuate any blood. And they had attempted, but not proceeded with fully opening her chest, trying to make sure that they could try to clamp her aorta, which is a way to raise somebody's blood pressure when they're you know, bleeding out. And uh, they had not yet succeeded in that. So she had an incision on her chest, but they had not gone into the chest cavity, um, as far as I could tell. Based on your training, education, and experience, did you determine whether surgery was necessary? Yeah, she needed to go immediately to an operating room when I when I was there, and that was we were there maybe a minute or two. I, I don't think it was even that long. It was just enough to get the equipment with her transported, and uh, we went in straight away. When she was taken to the operating room, were you with her? I believe I was at her bedside as we went down the hall. Who else was present at the time of the surgery? There was an attending anesthesiologist. There were at least one or two other members of the anesthesia team helping them. There was at least one, if not two, members of the trauma service. I think one or ultimately both of my partners came in, as well as surgical residents and multitude of nurses and support team. Did you participate in that surgery? I did. And can you tell the jury briefly uh, what you recall about the procedures that were conducted? first thing we did was position her on her side so we could get into the chest cavity and get control of any active bleeding points and also what we call clamping her aorta, which is putting literally a metal clamp across the big blood vessel that comes out of the heart in order to stop any blood flow to other parts of her body so we could raise the blood pressure to her head and to her alive. And that was our first maneuver while we were giving her blood products and trying to stabilize her before we did much of anything else other than putting pressure on the bleeding points in and around her chest cavity and her lung. So we made a big incision, we opened her chest, spread it wide, and put the clamp on her aorta, and then started giving her blood products until she got a better resuscitation. After you had done that, did you see any evidence of damage inside her chest? She had two sites of injury to the lung itself, one from the upper part of the lung, that's the upper lobe, and another what appeared to be a penetrating injury to the lower lobe, both of which were raw and blowing air because that's what happens when you have a slice injury or a penetrating trauma to the lung. What procedure did you perform to address that issue? We uh, stapled using a mechanical device that sort of seals some of the injuries and then we oversewed some of the other ones. We ensured that there was no active bleeding from any other sites and ultimately, you know, once we had her blood pressure stabilized, removed that clamp, watched her for probably a good 30 to 45 minutes just to make sure there wasn't some delayed bleeding from some other side of injury and put drainage tubes in the chest. As we were finishing up and getting ready to close things, it was apparent, and I wasn't aware of this, but she uh, had an injury to what ultimately was obvious uh, was a, a breast implant, so we had to remove that as well. That had occurred before I'd gotten there. I wasn't aware she had breast implants or didn't have breast implants. I didn't examine that other than to see it as part of the wound from the previous injuries that she sustained. So we removed that and put a drain in that space and closed things up. With respect to the two injuries you indicated to the upper lung and the lower lung, uh, would those injuries have been fatal if not treated during the course of surgery? Uh, yes. After you got finished with the procedure that you just talked about, did you perform any other procedures? I did not do anything further that day, but the trauma service did do another procedure afterwards. She was having difficulty ventilating, getting air and oxygen exchanged 
in her lungs, so they had to make an incision along the length of her abdomen just to allow space for her bowel to, which had gotten very swollen, to move into that so she could adequately exchange oxygen and carbon dioxide. So they did that, and then subsequently they left a open dressing over that, a special system that allows her to not be quite as tight so they could safely ventilate her, and then she went to the uh, ICU after that. With, uh, and I don't know if this is typical of every surgery or this surgery in particular, but did you do anything uh, to, before you closed the wounds or closed the incisions uh, to check inside his cataract's body? Well, whenever we do an operation, in particular in this case, we reinspect to see if there's any foreign bodies, either surgical devices and or instruments or sponges. And we did inspect to see if there were as this was reportedly a gunshot wound, whether there were any bullets or missiles, and we did not find anything. And we did an x-ray as well, and that did not determine any unexplained uh, objects. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. After asking Dr. Widman about the emergency surgery he performed on Ms. Kanarak, Prosecutor Shellhorn continues his direct examination of the surgeon by asking him about any additional observations he made in assessing and addressing the immediate trauma to the alleged victim's body. Do you recall if you saw any uh, external injuries that would be consistent with what you saw uh, inside of Ms. Kanarak's body? I think I had identified two injuries to the upper left chest, kind of above the breast area, and at least one on the uh, back behind sort of her, what's called her scapula or wing, so more posteriorly. You had indicated that you needed to make an incision in order to conduct your surgery, and I think you had Ms. P- Ms. Kanarak positioned on her side? Yes. Can you describe approximately where the incision began and approximately how far it went? more or less started um, under the breast, pretty medial, not quite in the midline, and went all the way around to the back, probably at least, I would think, 12 or 16 inches, and curved up posteriorly. And I think you maybe indicated that before you became involved, there was also other evidence of medical intervention at other parts of her body? Yeah, I think the trauma service had tried to open the chest, even in the trauma bay, and then had put some very loose sutures to close that. They weren't um, successful getting in there, that's when they probably had called for help. Was that the extent of your participation in Ms. Canarek's treatment that day on August 7th, 2019? I believe it was. Yeah. Were you involved in any of her post-operative treatment? Uh, we monitored with the trauma service who was primarily managing her other conditions, watching the drains and were you know, collaborative with them in terms of when to get the tubes out. I think about a week after the procedure, I did a uh, procedure called a bronchoscopy to 
suction mucus out of her left lung in order to expedite her recovery and help her get off the ventilator. Because she was on a ventilator probably for, I have to check the count if he was about eight or 10 days. And then she subsequently improved and the breathing tube was removed and, and she recovered. Did you have any, or participate in any treatment of Ms. Kenrack after she was discharged from the hospital? I think she saw me back in the office twice early on and then kind of a more delayed follow-up visit just to ensure she had recovered. She didn't have any ongoing chest surgery needs and she was from North Carolina, I believe, and she had indicated she was returning there for ongoing care and recovery. Do you recall approximately when she was discharged from the hospital? I'd have to check the chart to get the exact dates. I, I don't remember if it was 10 days or 14 days after the uh, injury. It might have been a little longer. I, I just don't remember. Shellhorn shows the witness documents to assist him in answering the question. Does that refresh your recollection of the Oh, it says the date of discharge. So she came on the 7th and she was discharged on the 26th. So it's uh, 19 days. Thank you. Judge, no further questions. Mr. Um, Blink, is any cross-examination? That unfamiliar voice was actually defense attorney Chris Deininger, Edward Belinkus's co-counsel in representing Michael Barrison. And with the defense passing on cross-examination, Judge Taylor excuses Dr. Widman and invites the prosecution to proceed with their case. Mr. Shellhorn, please call your next witness. Your Honor, the state will call Robert Goodwin. Lauren Canarek's boyfriend, who is also an alleged victim of attempted murder in this trial, walks to the witness stand and raises his hand to take his oath. Goodwin is an average-sized man. He is clean-shaven with graying hair and wears a grayish plaid suit with a red patterned tie. Prosecutor Shellhorn begins his direct examination of the witness. Good afternoon, Mr. Goodwin. Can you please introduce yourself to the jury and tell them how old you are? How you doing? I'm Robert Goodwin. I'm uh, 45 years old. Where do you currently live? Uh, right now I live in Florida. Do you know Michael Barrison? I do. Do you see him in court today? I do. Could you identify him by an article of clothing that he's wearing? Uh, white shirt, blue tie. Identify my client. Identifying the defendant, Mr. Barrison. Mr. Goodwin, do you have any equestrian background? I do not. Have you ever ridden a horse? Have. What's the extent of your involvement in the equestrian community? Uh, well, you know, I'm a, uh, I'm there to support Lauren. I do enjoy animals. I love the horses, and uh, I ride occasionally. When you say Lauren, who are you referring to? Uh, Lauren Kenner. And who is she to you? She's my girlfriend. When you say you support her, have you observed her riding horses and competing in various equestrian fields? Unfortunately, many, many times. Now, during 2018 and 2019, do you know who Lauren's coach was? Yeah, Michael Barrison. You said you currently live in Florida. Have you ever lived in New Jersey? I have. Grew up in New Jersey. Grew up in New Jersey. Have you ever lived in New Jersey as an adult? Uh, yes. When you lived in New Jersey as an adult, and I'm going to specifically direct your attention to the summer of 2018 and the summer of 2019, where did you live? The 411 West Mill Drive, Long Valley. What was there? I was the uh, Michael's farm. Did you live there with anybody? I lived with uh, Lauren Conner. Now, you indicated you know Michael Barrison and you knew him to be Lauren's trainer in 2018 and 2019. At the times that you said that you were living at the farm in Long Valley, was Lauren uh, training at those farms, at the farm? Uh, yes. Did she have any horses boarded there? Throughout times, uh, different numbers, but yes. Do you remember when you first met Michael Barrison? I believe it was December uh, 2017. And do you remember where you first met him? We came down to his farm in Loxahatchee, Florida. What was the reason for going to the Loxahatchee farm? At the time, Lauren was training with a North Carolina trainer who was uh, was coming down to train with uh, either Michael or Gear. I'm not sure which one, but uh, you know, Lauren Lauren came down and 
and we train with him for a month. Now, you just mentioned named Vera. Who's Vera? Vera is Michael's ex-wife. When you first met the defendant, Michael Barrison, were you aware of him by either reputation or background? Uh, not Over time, did you become aware of his reputation or his background? Uh, yes. What did you come to find out about him? Meaning? Um, what did you come to find out about him and his involvement in the equestrian community? Uh, he was very, uh, I guess, um, well regarded trainer. He was just uh, been to the Olympics, coached some uh, Olympians. I think you indicated when Warren first went there to Florida, she was training with another trainer at another farm in North Carolina? That's correct. Uh, what made her decide to tra uh, change and go to Florida? So, uh, you know, towards the end of our stay when we were about to go home, uh, Michael approached Lauren and said, you Objection. know. Objection. The defendant's statement. Judge. Yeah, what, what's the objection? Was he there? Yes. He was there. All right, it's withdrawn. Go ahead. You want to repeat the question? I'll, I'll, I'll put some context. Were you present at the time that the defendant had a conversation with Warren? I was. And that was in Florida? Correct. In general, what was the context of that conversation? You know, that we should come train with him. North Carolina is where Dressage dreams go to die. You know, we'll, we'll get your... You know, it was two, three years ago, so I mean, can't remember exactly, but, you know, it just was just, come with me, I'll make you a better rider. Do the things you want to do. Now, how would you describe Michael Barrison physically at the time that you met him in Florida? Uh, he's a large guy, uh, a lot of personality, intimidating stature. Do you know how tall he was? 6'3", 6'4". And how tall are you? 5'8". Now, you indicated that you met him at the farm in Florida. Do you know whether that was his farm? Yes. When we first went down there, we, we trained on his farm, but we were at another farm, which was, I believe was his brother-in-law's. But at some point, did you come to find out that he owned a farm in Florida? Yeah, like I said, we, tra we, trained, we trained on his property. It's the only one with the uh, arena in the ring. During 2018 and 2019, when Warren decided to train with Michael Barrison, where did she do that training? We started out in Florida and through the winter months and then through the rest of the year, nine months of the year, it was in Long Valley, New Jersey. Let me draw your attention to the summer of 2018 first summer that you lived in Long Valley. Uh, where did you live? Summer 2018. So we lived in the middle floor of the uh, Long Valley farmhouse. And do you recall where you lived, what floor of the farmhouse you lived on? The middle floor. So it was three floors, I guess, the second floor. Did anyone else live in the farm at that time? The working students uh, lived on the first floor, which was the basement. We lived on the second floor, me and Lauren, and uh, Justin Harden lived on the third floor. What else do you remember about the property of 411 West Mill Road in terms of what other features or landmarks do you remember being on the property? A pond, a few barns, a lot of green fields, grassy fields, like a nice garage. Do you know approximately how far it is from the farmhouse to the barn or the stable? Uh, you know, a quarter mile, give or take. And how do you get from the farmhouse to the barn or stable? You drive, walk. I mean, is there a driveway, a roadway? Yeah, sorry, this is a driveway. Now, you indicated that when you lived there in 2018, you lived there with Lauren? Correct. Did you have any pets there with you? Yeah. What kind of pets? Two dogs. And I'm going to show you what's been moved into evidence as S403. What's S403 a picture of? Uh, it's a picture of my dog, Rosie, on a leash. And how big is Rosie, approximately? 25 pounds, 20, 25 pounds. Was she about the same size in August of 2019? Yeah, same size since she was full grown. How old is she now? Six to seven. Maybe. Did you live in a separate or a different part of the house in the summer of 2019 when you came back north? Uh, yes, at that point we moved up to the third floor apartment. Who was living there during the, the first summer you were there? Uh, Justin Harding, the uh, trainer. 
Do you have any personal knowledge of why you moved from the first level of the house to the second level? Yes, when we were in Florida, there was a pipe that burst and, well, I guess pipe froze, and then we unthought it burst and flooded the whole apartment. You know, pipe was in the uh, ceiling of the second floor. So did that have any effect on the, the first floor? Well, what I'll call the main floor. Did it have any effect on the main floor of the house? Yes, it flo flooded the main floor and you know, the water settled in the basement. As a result of that, uh, was the first floor of the house, meaning the basement floor, what you called the first floor, was that livable or habitable? The basement floor is pretty much gutted. How about the, the main floor of the house? The main floor was semi-gutted. Some rooms were uh, had heavy damage, some didn't. And then what about that second floor apartment or upstairs apartment? Pretty much untouched because, like I said, it came, well, what I mean to say is it came from another floor of that, that apartment. Now, let me ask you, I just want to ask you some questions about Lauren's horses. Uh, did you ever help her take care of the horses? All done. Do you remember how many horses were at the property in August of 2019? 2019, we had uh, four horses. And do you have any awareness of how much Michael Barrison was being paid on a monthly basis for boarding and training those horses? Yeah, so uh, the two horses we originally came with were 2500 per horse. Third one, Lauren bought from Michael. And then the fourth one was in trade for some work I've been doing at the farm. I'm going to ask you that question uh, in just a few minutes. During the time that Lauren was training with Michael Barrison, were there any other trainers that worked with her besides Michael? Oh, yeah, uh, yes. Uh, I mean, Michael staff. Justin Harding was the main trainer. If I didn't ask you this question specifically, what did you do to help out with the horses? You know, anything from getting them, getting them ready, medical, spending time with them. Did any of the horses have any medical issues? Uh, Symphony or Old Mare. Symphony the Old Mare. And and what was your understanding of the medical issue with Symphony? Uh, she got a chronic cellulitis, which you know means it's um, it's chronic, it's chronic flare-ups and. Uh, you know, the way to take care of that is to uh, wrap it and keep the edema out of the leg. Did you ever do that wrapping? Almost every night. How many times a day did you have to do that wrapping? I wrapped once and then uh, 12 hours later I'd take it off. And, uh, and was there a, a specific time of day that you typically would try and do that? Usually before, before I went to bed and then when I got up in the morning. Now you um, had just indicated that you were doing some work at the property? That's correct. Can you tell the jury a little bit about what Kind of work you were doing at the property. So you know, Michael had a nice, uh, nice farm. It was a very nice farm, I guess. He wanted to just uh, update it, and make it look more impressive. You know, um, and we did some steel, outdoor steel siding for the ceilings and the, the walls, new lighting, updated some things. He was updating the arena. You know, the wood in the arena. Just wanted it to look more presentable. So when people came in, you know, gave that wow factor. You know, Olympic coach, Olympic facility, just. And dress it up, I guess, a little bit. And were you able to help out with that? Yes. Uh, what was the, the general nature of your agreement for doing some of that work? The general nature was, you know, we were supposed to bring, I guess, Symphony and, uh, you know, we had another horse in overseas. They were supposed to come a little earlier, but the general nature was to work off board and training for those other two horses, which ended up coming a lot later than we thought. Did you also do some work at the farmhouse? I did in the, uh, when we got back that, that year. And what was the general nature of the work you did in the farmhouse? Uh, well, like I said, it was it was flooded, and uh, you know, that, that needed to be taken care of at that point. Uh, Michael and Mary Haskins wanted to move in there, and uh, you know, Mary Haskins has the kids, so they wanted to make it. You know, they wanted to make those two floors, you know, a good good house for uh, Michael, Mary Haskins, and the kids. In our next installment, Prosecutor Shellhorn will continue his direct examination of Robert Goodwin. But for now, we bring to a close this episode of Jury Duty, the trial of Michael Barrison. 
If you would like to listen to these episodes early and ad-free, head over to our Jury Duty Crime Story Patreon page. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. You can find more information about this trial on our Jury Duty Crime Story Patreon page or at crimestory.com. Jury Duty is created, hosted, and produced by yours truly, Carrie Antholis. It was co-produced and edited by Chris Taracone. Music for this episode was provided by Strike Audio, and Trial Audio is courtesy of Law and Crime Networks. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you will come back for the next episode of Jury Duty, the trial of Michael Barrison.